Welcome back to another edition of the Hops and Spirits podcast. And this week, after a little bit of bourbon talk last week and tequila, because you know we're, you know, the Derby was last week and Cinco de Mayo. When we're recording this is technically tomorrow, but when this airs, will have already happened. So we did a little bourbon and tequila last week, but we're under the influence of beer this week. Our round table's a little shorter as Kenzie and Brian are unable to join us, but we do have two wonderful folks taking some time. Neil Witte, a master Cicerone owner, founder of Tapstar and Craft Quality Solutions, and Doug Balicki, chief strategy officer for Revolution Brewing in Chicago and founder of BeerCrunchers.com. Guys, welcome back. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, um, I, I gave you guys a little bit of a like a day heads up on one tough question because you know I just I just felt felt the need to be nice. Um, so the one tough question this week is: What's the best way to enjoy ice cream? Cone, waffle cone, cup, milkshake. What are you guys going for? I'm a milkshake guy. I I just absolutely love it. Although I'm I'm constantly horrified at how much ice cream they can actually fit into a standard milkshake and how quickly <laughs> I can consume it. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with that. So is milkshake IPA your favorite IPA style? <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. <laughs> For me, uh, my favorite, my favorite way to enjoy ice cream is in a bowl at, at home. Uh, if I drink it, I, I'm not never opposed to a, a waffle cone, um, but I feel like that's a race against the clock before it melts in my hand uh, when I get those out. So I, I do order them, but my, my favorite ice cream experience is just eating it at home. I had nothing, nothing wrong with that. I'm a, I'm a bowl guy for some reason, even though growing up, I loved, you know, cones. Uh, but I, I, I find them too messy and I don't really like to have my hands you know, dirty uh, for some reason. And although one of my favorite things, we were on vacation, I think we were down in South Carolina and a little place had the cone options. You know, you had waffle, regular cone, uh, like maybe a blue one. And then pine cone was one. I thought that was a very advanced offering. <laughs> So. Edible or I <laughs> uh, no, no, it was a legitimate pine cone. Oh, <laughs> pine cone. doesn't sound very pleasant. <laughs> no, no, and and then now, you know, for the, for the milkshake lover, do you, do you ever get them? Um, because here in Lexington with bourbon, you know, you can get bourbon added with them. Oh, um, yeah, I, yeah. I you don't get the right mix, you get like a like a you know, caramel ripple or something like that. Bourbon just goes perfect with it, uh, for obvious reasons. Yeah, stick a piece of bacon in it, you know, it's. Yeah, it's all over. Uh, well, let's get into our topics. And it's not a milkshake IPA, Doug, but we're talking seltzers um, because that seems to be the, the talk anymore because I swear every other day I hear someone new getting into the seltzer game or maybe a brand extension, you know, a, a soda company or you know, just regular seltzer type getting into the hard seltzers. This, I saw this on Twitter recently. I think some of it was semi-joke, but I think some of it is, is real. Do we ever see seltzers overtaking some uh, craft beer on taps eventually? Um, what, what, now, I know I'm sure Brian, who's not here, though, he sent me notes. He said, obviously, they, that didn't happen because of the pandemic. But he pointed to truly because of the Sam Adams connection and where they have a lot of taps of. He wouldn't be shocked to see that in 2022 being a big push uh, for them once things get back to a little more normal. So what do we think? 
I, I think it's going to, it's going to happen to a certain extent, right? Uh, draft beer is losing a little bit to just about anything you can put on tap because there's a certain novelty aspect to it. Uh, you know, I'm, one of my favorite craft beer bars here in Kansas city, you know, was what had a 20 tap system. And now I, it's like a 15 tap system because there's a coffee and there's two cocktails and there's wine. Uh, there's going to be a kombucha going on. Uh, it's not the type of bar that would put a seltzer on probably ever because, you know, they're very flavor focused and that's just not the selling proposition of seltzer really. Uh, but uh you know, they've, they've taken off draft beer for other things and seltzer with the popularity, of course, is going to start targeting some of that. There's going to be a limited, a limit to it though, just because of what I said, there's plenty of places that are very focused on things that uh, are more complex in flavor, you know, better beer bars, you know, elevated food, um, maybe high-end whiskey, that type of thing. Um, and seltzer doesn't have as much of a place in, in places like that. Uh, but in a lot of the other channels, sure, you're going to see a little bit of it. I think, too, you know, I do have some concerns as well about the quality aspect because, uh, you know, if, if these more fruited seltzers start to stain draft lines, that could put a stop to it pretty quick. If somebody thinks that they're going to have to commit a draft beer line forever on their hundred foot <laughs> draft system because you know that they flavor stay in the line with a fruit flavor that's gonna uh that'll limit what uh what people are willing to take on in replacement of draft beer yeah i i don't really know the answer to this but some things that go through my head are like who's what, what seltzer uh whose space is that invading and uh, certainly, uh, to some extent, craft beer, no, there's no doubt about that. But I think it's been uh, fairly well documented and studied that the, most of the volume is coming from the um, American light lagers. And, um, you know, when you go to a bar with draft lines, you know, it's not like they have 16 light lagers on tap. They have maybe two or three, something like that, maybe Coors Light, Miller's Light and Miller Light and something else. Um, so when you think of like that customer and the reason why you'd have 16 draft lines, that's for a consumer that's craving variety and a very diverse consumer base. And so do I see walking into a bar that has 16 draft lines and seeing eight, eight or more seltzers? I don't think so. Could I see two of them being on there? Absolutely. Um, so I, I'm, I'm hesitant to, to like poo poo it. And, uh, <laughs> but I also see some things that, I don't know that it makes sense to see like a, a, a full draft line or even a half full one of, of hard seltzers. Another thing I think about is I, I, what I don't fully understand is how much these, the big players in this are, are um, dying to be on tap. Um, you know, it's not that, you know, when you think about how they market themselves, these are very much lifestyle brands. If you look at the White Claw Instagram account, it's just, the same black and white photos of people, you know, enjoying a day at the beach and uh, going on an excursion and all that. And I, I feel like at bars, they want people holding that white claw can or that truly can. And the whole bar being like a marketing billboard for them. Like, it's just hard to imagine that what they want is people holding a shaker pint full of clear, <laughs> clear, bubbly, sparkling, what looks like sparkling water. That just seems like, uh, you know, bad marketing. 
So uh, being on draft is much more profitable. Like selling kegs is, is going to be, they're going to make much more money than that selling the cans. But I think maybe in the long game, they'd rather these bars have, you know, four different flavors of their seltzer available at the bar. And I think plenty of people are going to actually prefer to drink it that way. In a way, they're going to want to be seen holding that white claw or that truly can versus, again, the pint of, of clear fizzy water. So. <laughs> I don't yeah, know that, that price, that that selling proposition there, and how much money uh, you make off of it. The the breweries make more off packaged beer than they do draft beer. You know, it's that old adage of the retailer makes money on draft beer, but the brewer makes money on packaged beer. And and you know, the expectation is is you know is that uh, those kegs are going to be a little bit cheaper. Uh, and they'll be able to sell more inexpensively and the retailer will make more money off of it. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why, you know, the domestic beers have trended, you know, 90% plus packaged beer to draft um, because they just don't push it. Uh, that's not where the money is for them. And, and I'll, I'll say this, and, you know, a lot of folks that I hang out with, they, they enjoy going hiking and, you know, going to the beach or going on a kayaking, you know, excursion down the, the creek or river and they'll take their white claws and, and truly's with them. But I've never outside of maybe being at the volleyball court bar ever heard anyone ask for a, a white claw when I'm out with them. Um, I, I, at least I, I don't feel like that's something people have gotten to yet where they're like, Ooh, like you said, Neil, I'm at a nice, not a, maybe not even a nice restaurant, just a, just any type of restaurant going, oh, I want a White Claw with this burger or anything, anything like that. I don't feel like that's when uh, someone would want a, a seltzer. It might be for a long day of, uh, of enjoying uh, beverages. Uh, Brian said, you know, he's got no clue what's going to happen, but it's one of the more entertaining and interesting changes uh, over the next year or two, which I, I think it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I'm kind of with you all. I think maybe one tap, maybe um, maybe, maybe it's a local one, you know, especially if, if a local brand has, you know, local brewery has a seltzer or something like that. I could see that maybe more so than a, a truly or, or, um, you know, white claw or even Bud Light seltzers and Coors Light seltzers and all those now. But I, I think it will be interesting to watch because they're, they're taking shelf space. Uh, but I, I don't know if they'll take a, take over tap like craft beer overtook everyone else's tap. Yep. There's going to be a limit there. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, another interesting thing talking about craft beer is obviously some of the, the 2020 numbers came in. And as one might expect, with bars <clears throat> shut down, brewery shut down, uh, production declined. Um, but I'm inclined to say that's more of the year, maybe, than, than, than what we would typically see. Uh, what, what do you all think? Is that a sign of bad things for craft breweries or do we see it bouncing back? Uh, maybe more so the decline in the beer industry is the big boys. I think we might've seen some, I think we were already seeing some signs of slowing, slowed growth um, before the pandemic. And, you know, with craft, like Neil just gave a, the, a great stat on 90-20, or I'm sorry, the 90-10 as a common uh, draft to package beer breakdown for the big macro breweries and craft. Uh, I mean, it depends on who we're talking about, but I'd say craft often, uh, you know, lands more in the 60, 40 realm, 60% package, 40% draft. That's what we are at revolution. And uh, so when 40% of your beer is sold at venues where, uh, you know, a lot of drinking gets done, concerts, ball games, 
and uh, not to mention, all, of course, all the bars and restaurants. I'm sure everybody got a nice lift in their packaged beer sales, but uh, I don't know too many who were a 60-40 brewery and made up anywhere near that whole 40%. Uh, now, a brewery that was maybe 90-10 uh, and only had to make up that 10%, a lot of them went way, be- way above and beyond and actually grew last year. But uh, so the craft definitely had had that working against it, you know, where the beer is sold um, and, and how much of their their breakdown is is draft. So that certainly hurt them. But uh, it was going to be a challenging year before all this. Uh, would, would it have been negative? I don't think so. But it probably would have been a, a much smaller uh, gain from the year before. Yeah, it didn't look like the numbers were trending for craft to be down. Uh, you know, it's impossible to really say what would have happened had the pandemic not happened, but surely a good portion of what we saw, or most of what we saw was pandemic related. Um, you know, it, it, you know, just like Doug said, there was, you know, it, it hit so many of these places really hard because of the business model that they had that focused so much on, on a part of the industry that pretty much just came to a stop. And then you've got everybody, you know, pantry loading and and developing new buying habits of just buying larger quantities. You know, the small independent breweries just are less likely to be, you know, selling 12 packs or 15 packs uh, in the store. And, you know, the, the willingness of consumers for a long period of time last year to spend a lot of money on some new fangled, you know, strange experimental beer or something like that, just wasn't there. People were buying things that they knew. So, you know, there were a lot of reasons why, uh, why we saw the numbers we did. Uh, Brian brings up an interesting point as I'll read from his lovely notes. Uh, you know, he goes, one thing that he mentions is based on current trends, drinkers are shifting towards spirits and, you know, the alternative beverages, you know, flavored malt, ready to drink canned cocktails. Um, but he said there's no way that beer loses out being craft beer. He said mostly though it's the macro beer. Craft uh, has held its own in IRI um, tracked off-premise sales, tracking above beer's total growth. So that's encouraging, which I'm sure that everyone uh, in the craft beer world would, would see that as well. Uh, one thing he did point out though is people are drinking um, less in volume maybe per se, but more in servings, i.e. a little higher uh, ABV, um, a little higher alcohol consumption taking place, uh, which uh, benefits craft beer, obviously being more than four or five percent. And also anyone that loves, you know, big double IPAs or uh, bourbon barrel aged beers that come in at like, you know, 15 <laughs> percent. So, so uh, what, what, what do you think about those kind of stats that he's throwing out there? I think he brings up a good point that I think about a lot with regards to just like you pointed out the ABV. I think for a while, craft breweries were trying really hard to go as low as they could and have session beers, which I'm all for. In fact, that's what I want to drink most of the time. But um, I think there was a period where everybody was just trying to get, you know, low, try to try to make light, you know, craft breweries trying to make light lagers, which again, plenty of people are, are in favor of. But when it comes to actually pricing those and the mass consumer sees a $10 lager six pack versus what, you know, they can get from the big macro breweries. It's a harder sell to get that transition versus when it's an 8% ABV um, IPA, like a double IPA. Um, 
then it's a lot easier to get them there to that price. Even if it's another $4, it's a $14 four pack. People are happy to do that, but it's, it's a hard sell getting those, uh, getting consumers, the craft consumer down to, um, to basically pay the craft pricing for, um, styles like lagers. Yeah. Those small breweries just don't have the economies of scale to be able to compete on price with beers like that. And that's, you know, and that's kind of getting a little bit out of their space. I, I know, you know, there's been a little bit of settling in with the numbers and it appears that, you know, craft beer might be kind of finding its comfort zone as to how much, you know, how, how much market share they're going to have in the medium, the long term. You know, it can't grow double digits forever. There's going to be a spot, you know, just like any high end or premium category, you know, there's going to be a, a limit to you know how much it that can grow from a market share perspective and i think craft is kind of uh, starting to find that and you know brewers are reaching out and trying to experiment with making up volume with things like light loggers and stuff but it's really hard to compete like that you know and with and that's you know a lot of the push behind the seltzer thing too it's just an attempt to you know make up those numbers or you know and you know create that growth or get that from somewhere else um, but I, I think, you know, these, these number trends, I think we're just starting to see craft settle into maybe a market share spot where it's going to be for a little while. Uh, I don't see things declining dramatically anytime soon. I was going to say, I mean, eventually it has to mature. It can't just skyrocket up every year. Um, and, and Doug, to your point, I, I think of uh, a brewery that I really enjoy up in Cincinnati, Urban Artifact. They do fruited ales, uh, fruited tart ales, sours. You know, they just put out a, I think they put it out in an eight ounce can to tr- keep the price point halfway decent. Uh, but it was like still six or seven dollars for an eight ounce can of basically about a 15% ABV fruited ale. It was astronaut fruit with dried fruit, um, or you know, dry, f- yeah, yeah, um, uh, you know, and you know, I think of that, I'm like, well, th- you can do that in the craft beer world. Uh, you know, and you can have people maybe spend that six, seven bucks there, get that 15% ABV. Uh, but I'm not, like you said, I'm not going to go spend um, $10 or $12 on a six pack when I can go get, you know, 24 beers for 12 bucks or 14 bucks uh, of something similar in taste, you know, at the end of the day, especially if you enjoy a few of those. Um but but uh, but I, I think it's interesting to see what will happen, because obviously at, at some point, too, do we ever see people? I mean, we're at what, 8000, 9000 craft breweries in America. I mean, at some point that number has to can it keep going up too? I think that that ends up, you know, finding a comfort zone, too. There's going to be a certain amount of growth just as as the economy expands, right? And there's more people in general, but uh, there's going to be a limit to how much growth there can be. Uh, And craft beer will find that spot. And that's part of uh, what is going to, you know, it'll just, it'll, it'll settle in at some point. And, you know, those numbers haven't slowed down like the numbers we saw from last year, but we just talked about why that happened. Uh, But uh, you know, that there still seems to be a lot of people who are wanting to get into it and think that there's a, you know, money to be made in, in that segment. Um, but I think ultimately that'll uh, settle in and start chasing the same trend as the sales numbers and the long-term sales numbers of craft beer. 
Yeah, I think it's hard to <clears throat> it's hard to look at a number like eight or nine thousand breweries because, um, you know, the the difference between the top ten to top fifty versus the bottom one thousand mm-hmm. is uh, immense. You know, if one brewery in the top fifty fails, that creates the volume for like a thousand more um, local true. local neighborhood breweries to pop up. So it, it's tough to, you know, so my answer is it, it depends on the aspirations of, of the next breweries that come online. If these just want to be their town's uh, local, you know, watering hole, and uh, that's all they really want to be, maybe they're a brew pub, you know, so a little restaurant tap room combo, and they make beers in-house, maybe sell some kegs locally. I think you can have almost an infinite, infinite within reason, mm-hmm. number of those. But if we're talking about breweries who want to get into the grocery stores, that has a very finite number. Uh, Absolutely. Especially, especially as like you point out with seltzer taking over the shelf spot. I see it in my grocery stores every day where how much of it used to be beer is getting uh, slowly and slowly eaten away by seltzers for now. We'll see if that lasts. And uh, the business so. I think of a lot uh, with, to your point is uh, bakeries. Like I think, you know, every neighborhood could probably sustain a small bakery. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot to be said for walking out your door and walking a couple of a couple blocks down and grabbing a loaf of bread and it's kind of the same thing with a brewery you, with a particular model you can sustain a whole bunch of breweries in a, in a small area yeah, yeah. no i mean the, when you point it put it out like that i mean think about how many coffee shops are around i mean shoot starbucks sometimes I, I, has one right across the, the the road from another so i mean yeah and then it comes down to can the craft breweries continue to make their story and why you should support them and support their beer can they continue to make that as compelling as they have. And so yeah, and what that requires is a lot of small businesses who are okay with being small and staying small. And, and again, to your point, Doug, you know, not everybody can be big and distribute. And, you know, when, when I get, I talk to a lot of people who are, you know, thinking about getting into the beer business and, you know, if they're talking about just opening a local tap room, you know, the conversation is a lot different than if they're like, yeah, you know, I want to distribute and I want to be in the stores. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's good. That's a lot tougher proposition than if you just want to sell beer in the neighborhood. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I'm I'm with you all. I mean, I I think about um, if, if a lot of the, I don't want to call them the biggest of the big boys, but you know, you look at high wire, you look at uh, Goodwood here locally, they're, they're adding more brew pub style places and, and satellite locations along their distribution paths to kind of keep going. Um, you keep, like you said, if you keep, keep the right business plan in mind, I, I think we could still see some more, but at the end of the day, they still have to be producing good stuff uh, to keep the lights on. Um, speaking of keeping lights on, obviously breweries have to kind of adapt. Um, obviously now you can't just say, Hey, I'm a craft brewery, come in and enjoy beer. You can to a certain extent. Um, but I, I feel like now I'm seeing more, uh, concept type bars. Um, whether that's like, uh, you know, the, the bring your dog and let them roam outside dog park type to the volleyball court bars, um, 50 West up in Cincinnati has, five or six volleyball courts. They have um, a canoe launch point. They worked on getting trails, um, like paved trails behind them. Um, even during this winter, they turned their volleyball courts into an ice rink, um, you know, to, to just, I, you know, keep people and be kind of a, almost a community center. Um, I, when I talked to um, Bobby um, Slatery there, 
you know, I said it's almost kind of like a Disney World of beer <laughs> when you think of everything that could could be there. But what what do you think the importance is of those, and and are those kind of around to stay to kind of help separate folks from from others? Uh, I would say, you know, what we're seeing there's a few new concepts that have popped up. But the idea of a concept bar has been around forever, right? Uh, I mean, pool halls have been around forever. Uh, there's always been, you know, kind of themed places that, you know, bowling alleys, you know, there's lots of places where you can sell beer and have a bar and people will come and hang out and you've got this other activity. You know, I've, I've been going to volleyball court places. I remember going to volleyball court bars, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, so, you know, but it's only in the recent you know, in the recent past that we've seen things like, like the dog park and, you know, the video game, the arcade and that type of thing. And those are, those are fun too. Uh, but, you know, those are always going to have a part in, uh, in drinking and having a good time. And, you know, and that's just, that's just good marketing as a retailer. It's just, you know, having something fun to bring people in, you know, the, the more you've got to bring people in, the better you're going to do. I think that I think there this this general concept is huge, and you know I, I know I can look at our draft numbers, uh, especially in the past, but starting to heat up again. Um, and just what kinds of bars move the most amount of beer, and uh, it's Top Golf. It's the we have one here that's a the uh, shuffleboard, and the amount of beer these places sell compared to a a typical you know pub is remarkable. Uh, they, of course, need more space. It's much more expensive to operate. A lot more investment goes into it. It's more complicated. You need probably more pe- a lot more people to run it. Um, but boy, do they move through a lot of beer. And uh, I know I've just from talking to uh, friends of mine in the area that own bars, this is something they were worried about pre-pandemic where they were having more and more trouble competing with all the distractions at home. You know, Netflix was a topic of conversation with beer bars before we, we had to stay at home. And, and that was one of our best things to do at night. Um, that, that was a thing. And so bars have been trying to work on, you know, some, not all are set up for a, you know, major entertainment, but um, a lot we're focusing more on programming. What could I do on a given Thursday to um, get more people to show up and, and try to get like a group of people to show up? Could I get the brewer to come in and, and do a talk or could I get a couple brewers to, you know, some bars near me will do like a quick little panel discussion on saisons and then tap a bunch of saisons, like some kind of hook like that, that or trivia night. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Trivia is perfect. Uh, perfect example. That's actually like, you know, you don't need a whole lot of fancy equipment necessarily to do. Um, so yeah, if, if I, I would never open up a bar right now myself, unless I had like some kind of hook, um, we've got a, a great darts bar that opened in the city here where, I went with a group and it's just like a bowling alley where you have your own little area and uh, they have, you don't need to know how to keep score. The screens are really interactive with video and stuff. It shows instant replays when you get a bullseye, like a screen comes up and shows you throwing the bullseye. And uh, yeah, that stuff's hard to, it's like there's so many distractions at home that I, I think bars feel like they need something that strong to get people out. And then it also brings big groups, which, you know, you do a lot better on, you make a, a lot more money when a group of eight or a, a, 
a team of coworkers uh, comes after work because there's this interactive thing for them to do while drinking. The beer, the beer isn't always enough anymore. True, true. Uh, Brian uh, mentions, uh, you know, those those third spaces, those theme bars, bowling alleys, uh, arcades, entertainment centers. You know, some of them now you got a movie theater, bowling alley. You got like all five in one. Uh, we just had one open up here in Lexington. You know, they're huge. As you mentioned, Doug, they're huge for beer because you just get so many people in a spot uh, because they come for the occasions, uh, which is important for for drinks. Uh, but now one one interesting thing that he points to is the younger crowd. Um and how it'll be interesting to see how they go. Cause one, are they going out and two, um, or how are they going to compete with maybe those ready to drink cocktails or maybe just cocktails in general from the bar. Um, so there's a lot of unknowns though, maybe moving forward with the younger folks, are they going to go out or maybe are they only going to go to a fun, fun place like that? What, what do you guys think about maybe the future uh, of some of these things? Well, I think, you know, these types of places, open it up to a group of four people and maybe one person doesn't want to drink or two people don't want to drink, you know, that allows them to go and do something fun. But, you know, a couple of people might want to have a beer, a couple other people might not want to drink at all. And so it allow it, it's more flex, you get more flexibility with the types of groups you can draw in as opposed to just the corner tavern where if two people don't want to drink and two people do, well, you're probably not going to go to a bar, uh, you know, it's, it opens up those possibilities. Yeah, I think they've been trained. I think younger people have been trained to, uh, you know, require a little more entertainment than, than maybe some of us old dogs were used to. <laughs> uh, they probably used to say that about us when we were kids. <laughs> no, none, of, none of us are old. We're all young. Um, you know, still got a bright future ahead for all of us. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think though, sometimes, you know, I, I look when I was, you know, especially now that I have, I have a kid, you know, how different even just going out with that is, um, before I might've been more inclined to go to some bars later on. Now I almost enjoy sometimes going to a brewery just cause there's maybe a little more space or maybe they have a few other little things, games, you know, a lot of them will have board games just that you can go up and ask for. Um, you know, they might have a pool table or shuffleboard, but, you know, they have games and uh, all different things. And I, I think that's important, too, to make sure that um, there's options, you know, especially now that a lot of folks are having families and they still might want to go out and have a drink. Uh, what, what's the best way they can go out? Now, this is one that I think Brian really, really loved to leave me a note for because the importance of packaging, you know, uh, from in boxes. Um, I, this really sparked from I saw an article about augmented reality in boxes, which I swear, Doug, I probably, I feel like Revolution might be looking at this at some point. Uh, <laughs> but but his comment was just make just let me know if cans of overly fruited sour beer still explode in augmented reality too. Uh, <laughs> so, that would be the animation is that it explodes, but then you look and the can actually didn't explode. <laughs> so like I said, I think he had a lot of fun writing that and it worked out real well too. Cause I, I was following, I think it's pints and pixels or I forget what her name is on Twitter right now, but she does little drawings and it's really great. And basically she's just sitting there going, everything's fine as a can of fermented sour beer just exploded everywhere in the house. 
but, but what how what is the importance of packaging? Uh, you know, especially as a lot of folks move away or move into canning nowadays, uh, where they might not have been before. What what's the importance of packaging? Well, it's it, it's incredibly important for that first purchase, uh, more than anything, in my opinion. Uh, that article that that you shared was pretty entertaining, uh, where you point the point your phone at the can and it animates something in there. You know, you get this augmented reality, kind of like Pokemon Go. Um, you know, it reminds me of of a long time ago. Shoof, there's uh, the Shoof gnome back there, Marcel. Uh, Shoof used to have uh, an augmented reality coaster that they had, and this was like years before Pokemon Goes. I, looking back, I think it was the first augmented reality piece of marketing I'd ever seen. And we were obsessed with it. The app, app didn't work very well and it was a little wonky, but it was a little early in that technology. Uh, but I mean, that's a cool novelty, right? Um, but something like that, or, or even, you know, more importantly, just like a a package design that's eye-catching is incredibly important. I mean, the, the influence of, of those things, there's so many people who are just scanning the aisle, not really sure what they're going to buy and just looking for something that's going to grab their eye. And, you know, there are some packages that really will just disappear into the shelf for whatever reason. There's a number of design elements that can cause it to just not pop. And so you want something that's going to pop and that's going to allow people to, you know, that'll get people to buy it the first time. Uh, anybody who knows me knows that I will preach endlessly about quality uh, and quality is really going to be what is more important for that second purchase because now you've had a chance to try it. But if you've not tried it before, you got to have something that's going to draw you in, um, you know, if, it, if you don't already have a recommendation from a friend or something like that. So, yeah, that packaging element is, is critical. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when it comes to like artwork, um, it's a it's a chance to make a first impression, and and the, the shelves are so busy, and there's so many uh, colorful, exciting cans out there. How do you even just get somebody's eyes to even look at you for a second? You need to put a lot of thought into how you go about that. And then um, you had mentioned cardboard, like. Cardboard is something that basically putting the, the cans into a box that's unfortunately limited to how many it's more complicated. If there's a higher cost of entry to be able to have, you know, your four packs or your six packs or beyond in a, in a cart and you need a pretty expensive machine to do that. And uh, so it's not going to be nearly as common, but when you have that, then you don't have to worry about your cans being turned the right way. Whereas, you know, you're, you could have a beautiful looking six pack of cans but if each one is showing the government warning and kind of crooked, again, when someone is looking at a hundred different beers across a, a big shelf, they're not even going to give yours the time of day unless they're looking specifically for it or for your brewery. They'll probably just look right past it. Uh, when you get into uh, cardboard, you don't have to worry about that. Like I said, that comes with its own costs and scale that you need to be able to, to doing that. It's not uh, just an easy flip of the switch either, but they, you know, we call that the, the billboard effect where you, uh, if you have like six, let's say uh, five or six, six packs in a row that are all in cartons, it can just be like a giant billboard for your, your company versus all these cans that are turned every which way. Uh, it's hard to put up a, a price on what's that, what that's worth, but it's, it's as much a marketing expense as it is a, anything else. 
Yeah, it's kind of amazing when you look at uh, the numbers of uh, how much a package sells in the typical C store or grocery store door set. And, you know, being like on the handle in the number, what they call the number one position, you know, eye level at the handle and what percentage of sales you can expect to be increased over any other position in the door. And so even just like where you're sitting on the shelf, just all of these little cues, all of these little things that go into whether someone's eyes pass right over it or stop there, uh, those, they're huge. And, you know, having a great looking package is, is a critical element of that. And I was going to say, I mean, for, for Doug, especially, cause you know, we talked about this last under the influence round table and um, you know, uh, one, you guys put a lot of thought into your cans and, and what's on those. And uh, you even talked about, uh, I believe it's the, is it the, the uh, IPAs that you do a different box release, uh, almost like a comic style release. Yeah. Why, why, why did you guys do that? Because I, I, to me, that's again, going back to that packaging, like, oh, that's another reason to draw someone in. Yeah, to keep it interesting, honestly, like it, we, we always changed the box, but we didn't change the whole um, illustration on it. The characters on it changed, but the template of it really stayed the same. And then it, even though we were rotating the, the variety pack of IPAs every three or four months, it still would get, felt like it was starting to get a little stale. So we just decided to put more into it. So just like a comic book cover for a recurring comic book would have a completely different look to the issue. That's what we call our, our variety packs. Each time it rotates, we call it a new issue. And uh, we just decided to add that element to it. We were making new cans each time. Let's make a new box every time too. So it's a, it's a giant pain. It's expensive. <laughs> it has thousands of dollars more of costs, but we're seeing that it further enhances the, the kind of fun storytelling that we're, we're trying to do. We're trying to show our customers that, you know, we love the whole superhero Marvel DC uh, pop culture world. You know, one of our biggest sponsorships that we do is the, the Comic-Con in Chicago. We make the official beer for that. So that's been, we've been doing that for 10 years and it's a huge part of who we are in the city and a customer that's really important for us to connect to. So this was just, that was just a way to make that uh, IPA variety pack even, even stronger and make sure it, you know, stays top of mind by keeping people interested in it. Yeah. My guess is that you see a nice little bump once that new package hits the shelf too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and, and I'll, I'll be honest too. I, I, I'd be on the lookout for that more so than just a, a regular one. Cause I, it's, it's a fun topic to have when you go to, to a house or to a party, socially distanced or not these days. Um, but another thing that I always find interesting too, that uh, especially with one of my, my buddies would always do this. It could be the most weird looking thing or weird name thing. And he was more apt to go for that the first time. Now you sometimes you can go back for it the second time. Cause as uh, Neil said, the quality has got to be there. Uh, what, what also is an important in, in how you name things? Cause I feel like that also can play a little bit of a, 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 a factor into that first purchase, not maybe the second person purchase, but that first purchase. I think you're going to see depend. Uh, it's going to vary, right? I, there's some packages that really catch my eye on the shelf that I can't figure out what they're even calling it. Uh, I can't figure out what, you know, what the style of beer is. I can't figure out what the name is, but the package is still caught my eye nonetheless. 
Um, so, you know, in that instance, the name doesn't make that much of a difference, but you know, the, the other beer, the beer that really comes to mind when you talk about that is Lagunitas IPA. Lagunitas IPA for the longest time was, you know, the rocket ship of craft beer and there was seemingly no stopping it. And the name was right there. IPA. You couldn't get around it. I mean, there was no denying what it was, what you were buying. It was front and center. And so I think in that instance, you know, the way it was both the label design, it was eye-catching in its own way, and it was the name. You knew exactly what you were getting. Uh, so in that instance, yeah, I think it made a big difference. And we, we may have lost uh, another another friend. Not not sure what happened to Doug, but it's okay. You and I can have a one on one discussion here about the beer business. Uh, that, that's the beauty of recording you know, live to tape. You just never know know what's going to happen. Uh, but uh, I mean, you know, I, I think of that a lot of times. Sometimes simple, straightforward is is a good thing. Um, you know, I'm drinking a Great Lakes. It's literally Mexican lager with lime. I know what I'm getting with that. Yeah. Um, you know, now, now I say that to say this because I've, I just did the podcast uh, last week um, on the flight night uh, and it was uh, chicken cock whiskey. Uh, that's one of those uh, fun, fun names that you're probably going to go and go, Ooh, okay, maybe that, that, that's an interesting name. <laughs> so you just, uh, you, you know, you just never really know uh, per se what, what's going to strike someone's fancy, but, but yeah, I, you know, and, and I think too, I mean, I go some places. I'm like you. I go to maybe a brewery, and I, it takes me five minutes to figure out what in the world the name means for something because they try to be so so funny and a little bit of a, a punny too, uh, so to speak. You know. Um, yeah, I uh, I honestly the name when I, if I'm looking at a draft list, I'm I'm kind of looking past the name. I'm looking at like ABV. I'm looking at style. You know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you can't discount what a name can do in certain contexts. Mm-hmm. I think in other contexts, it, it might not be relevant at all. Um, but you know, it could be a critical part of it in some instances. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's also, uh, just interesting to see what, what folks might go to with a can design, you know, you wouldn't think, or, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think a can could draw someone in or a box, but you know, it, it definitely does. And, it's also why the big big boys will, from time to time, uh, mix up their branding. And uh, yeah, I know Yingling's doing a Stars and Stripes camo edition, limited edition. Uh, it's got yeah. a good good cause with it too, you know, uh, up and out of a big, uh, you know, nonprofit and things like that. But obviously, there's more to it than that for them. Yeah, and uh, you know, the the 16 ounce can is just a great canvas for art in general. Uh, I've seen some really fantastic packages that you just wouldn't ever be able to fit onto a bottle. Yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting. And, uh, you know, who who, know, who knows what next year will bring uh, when in terms of packaging, who knows, maybe augmented reality. Uh, you know, granted, I think back to, you know, they, they talk about the little QR codes and, and all that. And, and I do use that more now uh, than, I, than I ever did before because pretty much you're almost forced to at some restaurants and some bars. Yeah, that's your restaurant menu now. Yeah. Uh, but but until then, it was like, you know, maybe a one out of three chance I was going to click on that. So I still always wonder if uh, it would ever be worth uh, spending that extra money on that augmented reality. Although I really do want to see how it works. I, <laughs> who knows? Maybe they'll have the exploding cans uh, if it all goes wrong. 
Yeah, that would be that would be the classic where you see the the can exploding, but the can didn't actually explode. Oh. Well, Neil, I, I, I appreciate you hanging around to the very end. Uh, <laughs> Last Doug, man standing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Doug just said that his internet went out. So, you know, you just never know That's what's right. going to happen. I always worry about that here sometimes because I swear if I move three feet you know, away from this door and behind the wall, it'll, it'll go out in a, in a heartbeat uh, yep. or I'll just be, you know, freeze frame. So. Yep. Yep. It's technology. I had my camera go out in the middle of the YouTube live uh, or at the beginning uh, last week. It, it was no fun. So, <laughs> Yeah. You just never know. See folks, we're, we're, we're live to tape, so to speak, since this will come out on Thursday. We do these usually on Monday nights, uh, but it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, Neil, I always appreciate it. Doug, I appreciate you. Kenzie, Brian, you know, Brian, I, like I said, I loved his little comment and I just enjoy the fact that he took the time. Uh, to make sure he could he could throw his ramblings in as well. At least he sent you some comments. That's good. It, it is, and especially because some of the IRI information that he has is, is yeah. really impressive and can bring a lot to the. He's got a lot of the actual business insights that and the numbers that a lot of us don't have. Yeah. It, exactly, exactly. So uh, we'll we look we, forward to him being on next time. Yes, he will be on next time. We're probably going to take a little summer vacation since I have a feeling a few of us will be moving and, and doing things, but we will be back with another Under the Influence Roundtable. Neil, thanks as always. Thank you. It's great to be here. You just never really know what's going to happen uh, when you're recording an episode. Uh, if you're watching the video, uh, it's, it's kind of amazing that all of a sudden he's there and then he's not. But I appreciate Doug and Neil taking the time. Brian, Kinsey, I know you'll be back next time. Hopefully schedules will work out a little bit better uh, th than we thought. Uh, one thing you guys need to check out is our 60-second highlights uh, where we highlight new uh, bourbons, whiskeys, cocktails, beers, you name it. Uh, we highlight those every Monday uh, on our uh, social media pages and YouTube page. Also, don't forget to check out those pages uh, for some fun videos and a whole lot more. You can find those at Hop Spirits, all one word, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And you can get the link in our bio to sign up for our weekly cheers newsletter, which comes out Friday mornings. Has a lot of goodies in there as well, including cocktails, some news updates, and more. And if you guys can, feel free to uh, leave us a little note. Give us a five-star review on whatever podcast player you're listening to or subscribe to us on YouTube. And be on the lookout this month for some fun giveaways. That's right, giveaways. We're doing two, and they're going to be a lot of fun. Stay tuned for that. Until next time, cheers, everyone.